Well, good morning again. Uh, let me just add my voice to the at the movies. They are awesome. They are awesome. I'm kind of waiting for them to do one of Dumb and Dumber, but uh, <laughs> but I, I haven't made that suggestion yet to Scott. We call it fibbing. We call it fudging. We call it stretching the truth. But whatever we call it, it's lying. And um, I know that some lying is not as bad as others. And the truth of the matter is that when parents are near the end of their rope with their small children, sometimes we resort to little fibs to get them to cooperate. I came across a couple this week that I thought were pretty good. One mom said to her kids, you know that when the ice cream truck's music is on, it means they're all out of ice cream. (laughs) No, honey. Real chocolate Easter bunnies don't have ears. (laughs) My daughter was five years old before she realized that chocolate bunnies have ears. So I was wiping the stuff off my mouth. One of my favorites, though, was, oh, you must have miscounted that you had 10 Snicker bars in your Halloween bag. Because I only counted nine. Harmless? Probably. Humorous? Yeah, kind of. But there's a dark side to disinformation that we as a culture have gotten way, way too comfortable with. We're experiencing what I call a crisis of truth in our world today and in our country and in our culture. In fact, the very notion of truth and objective reality, it's on life support if you hadn't noticed. I mean, where is Walter Cronkite when we need him? He used to close his CBS evening program by saying, that's the way it is. Well, sort of like that anyway. That's the way it is. That's what's real. That's what's true. Where is Walter when we need him? Because we've been left to all kinds of scam artists, con men, false prophets who will tell you anything to get your money, your attention, or your devotion. The fact is, knowing truth from, from error has never been more needed than it is in our day. And yet, it has never been more marginalized or minimized. You'd think that, that objective reality and being that we are impervious to truth. We hear people talking about my truth and your truth as though they bear no relationship to reality or at least that I have the ability to shape reality with my own mind. But we all know that truth matters because none of us wants to be lied to. We don't. 
We expect that we're going to hear the truth. Because without truth, there's no trust. Without trust, societies begin to break down. And we're watching it in real time on our favorite cable news station every day. Oh, how we need to know the difference between what is true and what is error. The truth matters, and so John wrote a book. First John that we've been studying, he wrote because he was warning those he loved of the dangers of deceit and deception that lay before them. And so this morning in chapter 4, as we begin this, this section of the book in our study, he offers us a dis- <clears throat> an invitation, an invitation to a discerning life. We need the ability to sort out every wind of doctrine that's blowing through. And our passage that we're going to look at today gives us two essential tools two essential tools to do just that. But before we open the text, let me open with prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you this day. Speak truth through your spirit to us and your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's my big idea. A discerning life requires wisdom and hope. Our discerning life requires wisdom and hope. And here's the first of those tools. Number one, discerning truth from error requires us to be wise. To know who to trust. That's pretty important, isn't it? If we're going to get... We're going to get to the truth. We've got to know who to trust. I mean, we used to trust Walter. He's not around anymore. So who are we going to trust? Let's begin in chapter 4 as we read the first three verses together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world... By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the, in the world already. This morning I want to advocate for what I call a correspondence view of truth. A correspondence view of truth. What that is that it says is that a proposition is true if it corresponds to reality. If it corresponds to the real world. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, take a look at this bad boy. That is a Mojave green rattlesnake. And by the way, they're in the hills outside of Prescott. We came across one when we were hiking one day. This is not your average rattlesnake. 
Mojave green rattlesnakes have a neurotoxin in their venom. They're one of the most poisonous snakes on the planet. They have a neurotoxin that attacks your nervous system. And if you are not receiving medical treatment within minutes of being bitten by one of these guys, you're likely to stop breathing. Men and women, that is objective reality. That is truth. And so a true statement would be, don't go near these guys. Don't try to pet him. Don't try to pick him up. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> Stay away. It doesn't matter whether you think that's true or not. I mean, you can say, well, <laughs> that's not true for me. That's not my truth. I can, pet, I can pet him. I can pick him up. I can hold him. The laws of nature that govern the world are no respecters of our opinion or our perceptions. And usually when people talk about speaking my truth or their truth, what they're talking about really is their interpretation, their perception of reality. But there really is an objective reality. Even someone who truly believes that the laws of nature may not apply to them, they still jump out of airplanes with parachutes. They still jump out of airplanes with parachutes. Jesus made an astonishing claim in John chapter 14. He did not say that he knew the truth. What did he say? I am the truth. I am the truth. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection were an example of the objective reality that we live in. John begins with a warning to his audience, to us. And in essence, what he says is, Beloved, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. Test the spirits. That's what he says. Test the spirits. In the same way that a, a gemologist has a loop, you know what a little loop is? If they look at a gemstone, it magnifies them. And a, a skilled gemologist can tell the difference between zircon and a diamond as he looks at that. He can see the flaws. He knows what a real diamond looks like. And so that's what John is selling us. Test the spirits. False teachers and prophets abound. They're all around. We're not living in a neutral environment. Have you realized that yet? We're not living in a neutral environment. We are swimming upstream of our culture these days. We need to test the spirits. Now, some, truly, some people that are peddling false, false information, they really think, or they really believe what they're saying. There are others, though, that are just con artists, you know. They know that what has been attributed to P.T. Barnum so long ago is actually true, that there is a sucker born every minute. Now, what's, you know what's interesting? There's no evidence that P.T. Barnum ever said that. <laughs> the truth of the statements of human gullibility is still true. We are gullible. But he attributes the false teaching, though. Did you notice that? He says, test the what? 
spirits, the pneuma, the breath. Test the underlying forces that are at work in the world. He doesn't say test the teacher. He says test the spirits. You and I know that there is a reality going on in this room that we don't see right now. At least I hope you know that. It's a, it's a reality. There is a, a world that we can't see, we can't hear, we can't feel, but some of it is working on some of us right now. For good and for evil. The idea, though, is that we test what these spirits are saying. The influence of demonic forces in our life and in our world is most evident not by some scary Hollywood movie, but by the lies that are filtering through our society right now. And we need to be aware of what those are. The primary purpose of what we, of the demonic realm, the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle that's going on today is not to scare you. It's to misguide you. It's to lead you astray. Satan is called the father of lies. The father of lies. Why? Because lies are some of the most important tools that Satan has to mislead us, to keep people out of heaven or to misguide people here on earth. One of the most helpful tools or resources that I've come across in dealing with spiritual warfare and this idea that we're dealing with demonic forces in, in the world and life is a little book of essays entitled The Screwtape Letters. It was written by C.S. Lewis almost 80 years ago today. And he, has, he puts into perspective what the purpose of this whole struggle and this battle is about. Listen to what he says. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall concerning demons. He says, one is to disbelieve in their existence. They're not real. On the other hand, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors. They're just as happy if you just believe in them or as if you're looking for a demon behind every bush. Their primary goal is to mislead you. And that's what these essays talk about. They are a variety of short little essays that, in which a senior demon by the name of Screwtape is discipling, I shall use that term, a protege by the name of Wormwood. And Wormwood has been assigned an individual that he refers to as his patient. And in this particular uh, uh, part of the book, he is, Wor or Wormwood is concerned that he can't get his, his patient to sin in really big ways. He's just showing sort of disinterest in church and, you know, he's believing a lot of the little lies. But listen to what Screwtape says to him. And these are his words. You will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember that the only thing that matters is the extent to which you can separate the man from the enemy, God, in Screwtape's mind. That's their whole purpose. 
He says, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards will do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings and without milestones and without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. You see, we've got an enemy that is trying to lead us astray. And you might say, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm in church. I, I won't be led astray. Remember that in the Garden of Eden, there was no sin. There was no sin natures. But there was a subtle voice. And I don't know if he was a Mojave Green, but there was a subtle voice that whispered in their ear and they followed it. What are the voices you and I are listening to today? What are the voices that are discipling us? Are they enabling us to know the difference between what is true and what is false? You see, the central issue and the central heresy that, that John is taking on here is, was simply this. There was a, a, a variation that Jesus came to earth, yes, but he wasn't really a man. Some of the other speakers have talked about this, that Jesus wasn't fully man. But here is the truth. He was not only God, fully God, but he was fully man. And this is the central issue. This is the central litmus test of almost every heresy that has come down the road. Jesus believed he was fully God. He said in a, a group gathering, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And everybody picked up stones. Why? Because they knew that what he was telling them was that he believed he was God. He was equal with God. Paul in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 said that in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells. Think about that. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment in human form of what God looks like and what he talks like and what he's, he, uh, he, he, what, how he views the world. He said, not that he knew the truth, but he said, I am the truth. I am the truth. He was fully God. But not only that, we know that he was fully man. He was fully man. He, he got tired. He ate. He slept. He cried, he, uh, he, he was tempted in every way, Hebrews 4, 15 tells us. He was tempted in every way, every way you have been tempted. Christ has been tempted in a similar way and yet without sin. That's what makes him the perfect representative for you and I. If he wasn't human, he couldn't have died for our sins. If he wasn't God, he wouldn't we, we couldn't rely or trust on what, trust what he says. But he is fully God and he is fully man and therefore he is fully trustworthy. What voices are we listening to? What voices are we listening to? John said in verse chapter 1 of his gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
You see, Jesus is both fully God and fully man, which tells me I can trust him. He's no con artist. He's no liar. He's not a person who's out of touch with reality. He's more in touch with reality than any human being who's ever walked the planet. He is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all creation, which he brought into existence. Jesus created objective reality. Jesus created objective reality. And so, when we consider who are we going to trust, we need to be wise. Know who to trust. Who are you going to trust? Jesus. We know it. What does Jesus think of the world? What does Jesus say about the condition of the world? What does Jesus say is the way the world is and the way it ought to be? His voice is the one that must be the standard by which we judge all the others. His voice is truth. And John, as he's writing this now, may have had a moment where he thought, boy, this, I just said that there's, there's evil all around us. And you might be sitting here thinking, man, Mark, they're, they're, you're talking about demons. You're talking about all kinds of stuff that, that are kind of scary. And so John stops. In the next breath, before <laughs> you get too despairing, listen to what he has to say next. Look at verse 4. He says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them, the forces of evil that he's talking about, the false teachers and those that are operating behind them. You have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens. We are from God. John and the apostles. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and error. The second tool that we need is is sort of not real obvious until you think about it. And that is number two, we need to be hopeful in the midst of the world that we're living in. We need to be hopeful because God is greater than the evil around us. He immediately, you see, we can can look to Jesus and, and he says, you have overcome them. You have overcome them. And he immediately offers his audience a word of hope that they are the children of God already. That they have come to faith in Christ. They are trusting Him for their salvation. That you are His. If you have put your faith in Christ this morning, you are His. I don't care what denomination you belong to. If you have put your faith in Christ for your eternal destiny, you are His. And you have already overcome the false teachers. They can't have you and they never will. The only power Satan has over a believer is when we believe his lies. It's the only power he has. He can't have you. Okay? We are Christ's child now. And you belong to him. 
And that's when he says perhaps one of the most comforting words, a group of words in the New Testament. So everybody look at me. Eyes up. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is a battle not of equal and opposite foes. This is a battle of evil and good. And guess what? We know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. Jesus is describing a world that is in conflict. Good versus evil. And to know that we... that that. Uh, we've overcome these things in Christ is a great comfort. But here's the deal. This is an ongoing struggle. Even if I realize that, it's an ongoing struggle. So the question becomes, how do I sustain that hope? How do I sustain that hope and grow in discernment of, of how to determine good and evil? Truth and error. The secret to growing in discernment and to sustaining the hope that he's talking about is to do what I call trafficking in truth. Trafficking in truth. Now, he says in the, in the, in the passage, we are from God. You have overcome the evil one. He says, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. And who's the us? The us is the apostles. And by extension, the apostolic writings. And the new, entire New Testament. In fact, the entire scripture. Listen to, the, to, to them. Listen to us. By this, he says, we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. So if there's a way I can, I can try to do this, let's see if I can come up with... 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, before I get there, they, I, I, I want to read just a couple of verses before we get to that passage because I want you to listen and tell me if this is what the world we're living in sounds like to you. He says in verse 12 of chapter 3, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay. Let's not kid ourselves, though, Christians. We're not really very persecuted in America today. We're really not. Now, go to Syria or somewhere in a Muslim country, then, okay. He says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Trustworthy sources and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and then we come to this all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking for correcting for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I call this 
the discernment cycle. And this is how we traffic in truth, okay? This is how we traffic in truth. In other words, if you look at this diagram, the vertical axis is discernment. It tells us the difference between truth and error, okay? The horizontal axis is wisdom or responding to uh, to truth. And so these are where these, these fall. And there are four things. The Scriptures can do four things. Four of them. The first one is they teach us. It is instruction in objective reality. Okay? It teaches us what is true. They teach us what is right. Okay? So the trustworthy voices, when this book is interpreted rightly. People can make the Bible say anything they want it to say. But when it is interpreted rightly, it will lead you into truth. It teaches us what is true. It teaches us what is right. But not only that, it teaches us what is wrong. It teaches us what is error. That's what the word reproof means. It means that we, when we admonish or encourage a person, in our life, or we admonish and encourage ourselves, we don't do it with my opinion. We do it with this book. We use the scripture to reprove. It's, it tells us what is right. It tells us what is not right. Okay? The third thing it can do is it can provide correction. That's the word, correction. It tells us how to get right. <laughs> it tells us how to get right. The word means to straighten, to make straight. It's like something that is bent or twisted. It's in error. When it's bent or twisted, it can help us get back to where it's right, straighten up. My mom used to say that all to me all the time. She, she, when she was really upset with me, she'd say, Marcus, that's not my, my name's Mark, but she would say, Marcus, straighten up and fly right. You may have heard something similar. Straighten up and fly right. It, it, is, it, is for, it is profitable for correction. How to get right. And the fourth thing it does is it's useful for what he calls training in righteousness. That's how to stay right. And we all do this repeatedly in our life. We come across truth. It affects us. We realize there's something in my life that's not right. This is what I need to do. I make the correction. And so I begin to, to, to make changes and it trains me in how I ought to live. And then I learn in more truth and I keep, and, it, and this is kind of a growth cycle that we go on. This has to do with doctrine. This has to do with conduct. Truth versus error. Doctrine conduct. In other words, when we come across something that's true, something happens. Maybe we, it makes us aware of, of something in our life. And so we might see this as, a, as confession or conviction, this arrow. This arrow, once we have, have a, a realization that there's something wrong, we call this con- repentance, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction in my life. How to get right, how to stay right, we call this discipleship. 
We are discipled in the truth. We begin to learn it and we, and we enter a training and that leads us to more growth as we learn more truth. The way to understand or discern, the best way to understand and discern truth from error is to traffic in the truth. The more we understand truth, the easier it is to recognize error. Right? The more we understand what is true, when we hear something, then you go, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. It's easier to spot error when I'm walking in this pattern. Not going in circles, (laughs) but I'm walking in this pattern where God is taking me through a series of exercises. Now, I was in Wendy's yesterday, and about 50,000 other people were there too. <laughs> but I was standing at the, thing, at the, at the register after I, I made my order, and the, um, the gal that was behind the counter did something very interesting. She took out a dollar bill. You remember what a dollar bill looks like? <laughs> Does anybody use this anymore? But this is what she did. See, I actually happen to have them. I'm kind of old school that way. But she was doing this. Have you ever seen them do that? You know what they're looking for? They're looking for little strips that are in the, in the paper that tell us and tell them it's real. And if it doesn't have the strips, you don't get the, uh, the nuggets. <laughs> right? Test the spirits. How do I test the spirits? I test the spirits by trafficking in truth. By trafficking in truth. I bet you you've probably never seen one of these. A one million dollar bill. I wouldn't try it in the ATM if I were you. The thing is, it's kind of interesting. I, I found out that these are actually legal to print. And the reason they aren't is because it doesn't have a little disclaimer, or it doesn't have a little claimer that says, this is legal tender. This is legal tender. And this doesn't have that. But it's really impressive when you look at it. I mean, it's got Rutherford B. Hayes, got a president, it's got all the, the stuff we think of. But how do we know it's not real? Because we know what is Men and women, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error become much more easy to to decipher when we traffic in the truth. And that gives us hope because God is greater than all the evil in the world. And we have someone we can trust absolutely. So this means that in my practical, in, in the way I live in the world today, in dealing with the truth and error that is coming at me in every direction, is I, first of all, speak truth in your conversations with people. Be truthful. Don't fudge. Don't fib. Don't stretch the truth just because it makes a better story. By the way, preachers are guilty of a lot of that. Speak the truth in love. Be above reproach. In your financial dealings, pay your taxes, pay your debts, be generous with people, steer clear of using 
the world's means to accomplish God's ends. Because the world is usually after power and prominence and personality. Be careful. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Finally, please be extremely cautious when trafficking in conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are what I consider modern day Gnosticism. They promise hidden knowledge about the way things are working in the world, but they don't produce hope. They invariably produce cynicism and greater distrust. What are the voices you're listening to? What are the voices you're listening to? If we train our ear to what's real, screw tapes, whisper will become more evident. It will appeal to your ego. It will appeal to your victimization. It will appeal to your sense of entitlement. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test them. Test them. John describes Jesus as full of grace and full of truth. Is what you're listening to full of grace and full of truth? Or is it something else altogether? The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth in John 14. And that He will lead us into all truth in John 16. Traffic in truth. I want to give you a couple of next steps as we close. A couple of next steps. Very quickly. The first one is a challenge on the back of your handout. I want to challenge you to limit the time you spend in the next week or two watching cable news. I'm dead serious. I am dead serious. Limit the time. I'm not saying don't watch it, but also if, if you're uh, uh, some of the young folks scrolling social media. Limit that time and instead, why don't you spend some time here? Not just reading a, a quick daily bread, but really studying the Word. I know you're in a study process with, with the, the, the whole uh, study that we're going through right now. So in, I'd encourage you to do that. Ask yourself honestly, number two, where am I susceptible to scams? And conspiracy theories. What's the source of, of these things that you're picking up? And I would just be really, really careful. Number three. Based on this discernment cycle that we just looked at. And reference from Second Peter. Ask God to reveal to you some area of your life. That he's wanting to move you around the cycle. Where are you at? Are you in need of teaching? Are you in need of reproof? Are you in need of correction? Or are you just needing training in righteousness? In the middle of, chap uh, in the middle of Mark's gospel in chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured before three disciples. And he becomes exceedingly white, the text says. He, he, he is brilliant and they can't even look at him. And out of the, 
out of the cloud, God breaks into the moment. The Father breaks into the moment. And this is what he says. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And we would do well to do likewise. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to hear your voice clearly in our day so that we can live our truth, your truth, out in our lives. Give us courage to face those who would disagree with us and yet give us grace to trust and love them anyway. Give us power by your Spirit to speak the truth in love with those in our families and in our job because you love them as well. Father, help me to identify where I'm hearing the voice of the enemy and I'm missing it, thinking it's yours. We confess, Father, we are prone to sin. We ask you to lead us in your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.